0: Amen. What a great truth. Great job. By the way, you look around and there's a big mess out there. Men aren't sure they're men. Women aren't sure they're women. Let me just say it's a mess out there, but our God is going to fix it all. (laughs) Go ahead and get in your Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 794. John chapter 14, for several months now on Sunday mornings, we have been talking about things Jesus said exclusively to his disciples. Remember, at times, Jesus spoke just to someone who was not yet saved. Most of the time he spoke to a crowd that was a mixture of those who were his disciples and those who were not. But on occasion, he spoke only to those who had already believed, those who had believed him to be the Christ, believed him to be the Messiah. They were called his disciples. The word disciple just means learner. And so, though the primary purpose of Christ's coming the first time was to seek and to save that which was lost, to die for our sins on the cross, and rise again to conquer death, he also spent a lot of his time teaching his disciples. And as a disciple of Jesus, I want to know what Jesus had to say to his disciples. Uh, By the way, just as a reminder to everyone, we are working through lots of new things here. All right, you're going to be able to look around and see places. Why isn't there a shelf there? Uh, Why isn't there molding on the steps on the platform? Uh, Listen, please, just be patient. We'll work through it. Uh, There are a lot, a lot of little things that took us months and years to work out before. uh, We are here in a mostly finished building to glorify God through Christ Jesus. Amen. And so all that other stuff will take care of itself. Last week, we talked about Jesus giving His disciples His marching orders for the focus of His churches. Uh, The world has an agenda uh, for the Lord's church. A lot of believers have their own agenda for the Lord's church. Uh, But Christ's agenda for his churches is that they go with a gospel message to the world, that they baptize those who have believed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and that they teach those disciples the things that Jesus taught. And that is exactly that third prong of that commission is what we're doing on Sunday mornings, Uh, Together. Uh, You know, one of the great things about the Bible as the final authority instead of some organization or an individual is that we can have honest discussions about what God, the author of the Bible, meant when he wrote something down. Uh, It's no surprise to anyone here that there are a lot of places in the Bible that people rest. Uh, W-R-E-S-T, out of their context. Uh, some take things out of context in the Bible because uh, they have an evil agenda and they're trying to mislead people. Uh, others, uh, they're sincere, sincere, um, but they really don't want to know what the Bible is saying in its context because uh, it's contrary to something they're doing or believing. And we're going to talk this morning about uh, one of those verses that is often uh, twisted by well-intentioned people. And people are very susceptible to the misuse of this particular Bible verse because everyone would like to do something uh, that's considered great. Most of us, if not all of us, would like to do something in life that would be considered great. Now, we may not believe that we can ever do something like that, but if we could, we would all like to. See, one of the things you and I make note of as we read the Bible are those special times when God was doing great miracles, transitional times. Times when God was doing something new and special and He wanted to confirm His words by signs and wonders. Times like the exodus from Egypt when God was delivering a people out of enslavement in Egypt and He was forming them into the nation of Israel and establishing the religion of Judaism. He did a lot of miracles and signs to substantiate that change. Times like the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth when He confirmed His deity and confirmed to anyone who was interested that He was the Messiah, the Christ that had been promised all the way from the book of Genesis in chapter 3, lots of signs and miracles. Similarly, as the book of Acts begins and the apostles and the early disciples are beginning to carry out the Great Commission. When there was no written New Testament to confirm their message, God did great signs and wonders and miracles to confirm what they had to say. But you and I don't live today in a transitional time. Uh, Today, you and I live in a time when Uh, The life and ministry and resurrection of Jesus is done, and the entire New Testament has been written. But I think many of us, as we season in life, we wonder if we have ever accomplished anything that might be considered great. And the reason we wonder that is that we don't really understand what God our Father considers to be great. There's a story told about a college ethics professor who presented his students with this situation. He said there's a man and he has syphilis. His wife has tuberculosis. They have four children. One has died. The other three have what is considered to be a terminal illness and the mother becomes pregnant again. What would you recommend that the parents do with her being three months pregnant? Not surprisingly, the class... College students had a spirited discussion and not surprisingly, the majority voted to abort the child. The teacher said, well, that's fine, but you just killed Beethoven. What a great reminder that God can do great things with a life the world would judge and reject prematurely. If you're able to stand this morning, stand please in honor of God's Word. What did Jesus say exclusively to His disciples? Do great things for God. Do great things for God. John chapter 14, we begin reading in verse 12 where it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Thank you. You might be seated. We read in verse 12 a promise of Jesus that his disciples would do greater works than he did because he was going to be with his Father. Verse 12, uh, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works then these shall he do because I go unto the Father. You see, this would happen because he would return to heaven. He would ask his Father to send the Holy Spirit to live permanently inside his disciples instead of just being with them. In fact, that's what he says to them in verse 16 of the same chapter. He says, I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You see, this would happen because he would send the Holy Spirit from heaven when He went to be with His Father, this would happen because with Him being at the right hand of His Father, He would be interceding for His people. In fact, on Sunday nights, we are going through biblical doctrines, and we have spent the last six weeks or so together talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world and in true believers. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just our comforter, though He is that. If you're a true follower of Jesus, He also empowers believers. Believers to do greater things than we are capable of doing on our own. But it wouldn't just be because He would go to the right hand of His Father that they would do these great things. It would also be because they would have new access to the Father through Him. And He talks about that in verse 13. Whatsoever ye shall ask in My name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in My name, I will do it. Now there are a lot of prayer promises in the Bible. This is just one of them. A prayer promise to help our faith when we pray. And understand that those prayer promises are not a maze that needs to be pieced together because we have a reluctant God. They are all separate and special individual ways that we can get answers from God our Father in heaven because He wants to give good things to His children. But in verse 12, when we read that promise there, um, oh, by the way, before we get to that, uh, when, when you hear people pray, uh, close their prayer in Jesus' name, this is why they do that. Amen. This promise that Christ said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Now, when our children were little, uh, they sometimes would come to you and say, hey, mom says dinner's ready. That didn't carry the weight of their view as a child. It carried the weight of the name in whom they came. Uh, When I worked at a factory in Reading for a little over three years, uh, the secretary from the office would come back there sometimes and she would say, Robert who wants to talk to you. That was the last name of our plant manager. And so when she said, Robert who wants to talk to you, that message didn't carry the weight of the secretary, it carried the weight of the name in which she came. You see, when you and I uh, come to God, our Father, in Christ's name, we're not coming with the weight of our name or the weight of our righteousness. We are coming with the weight and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it adds weight and authority to our prayers. I mean, of course, this is not some magic words like rubbing a genie bottle and say, I wish God is not a heavenly genie. But this is a great prayer promise to help our faith, to give us confidence to know that when we pray in Jesus' name, we come with His authority and the weight of His reputation rather than ours. But my attention this morning is not captured by that prayer promise. It's captured by chapter 14 and verse 12, a verse that is often twisted by charismatic believers today where Jesus told his disciples the works that I do uh, shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. By the way, that's quite a statement if you actually think about it. Especially to any of us who would really like to do something great in our lifetime. But by the way, when you think about the great things that Jesus did, I remind you, he used the Bible, the word of God, defeated Satan. Satan. Uh, He walked on the water. He ascended into heaven, defied gravity. He raised the dead by speaking a word. In fact, one of those He raised from the dead had been dead four days. When we think about the great works that Jesus did, I mean, think about it. Instantly, lepers were cleansed. Instantly, eyes that were blind were made to see, ears that were deaf were made to hear instantly some who had never walked from their womb. The lame were made to heal and to walk normally. Just like that. In fact, if we studied the issue, we would find that at times, He grew limbs on those who were maimed. Imagine that. Listen, there was never a time when a disease or a devil didn't instantly obey the command of Jesus Christ. Not one. So regardless of the boisterous claims of charismatics regarding this promise, none of them are in any way doing greater miracles than Jesus when it comes to sign gifts. I mean, not even close. Now, it it sounds very spiritual for for somebody to stand up there and say, hey, because Jesus is with the Father, you're going to do greater works than Jesus. He made blind eyes, see. you're going to do great miracles. That sounds good. It's just not true. In fact, if you look at what they're doing, there is no comparison. I mean, you can, they have. there have been people who've gone behind these what are so-called healing crusades and interviewed people who were allegedly healed at these healing crusades and there was not a verifiable doctor's definition of their diagnosis and no verifiable doctor's confirmation that anything happened. Listen, you compare that to somebody who was a leper who had their leprosy cleansed, somebody who was blind from birth to be made to see, someone who was deaf from birth to not only hear but speak plainly, someone who was lame from birth to be able to walk, and somebody to grow an arm where there just used to be a nub. and I will tell you, no one today is doing anything comparable to what Jesus did. And so it obviously doesn't mean that. I mean, sometimes we read the Bible and it's difficult to know what it means. We can only know what it does not mean. I mean, even the apostles didn't do greater miracles than Jesus did. By the way, who among us doesn't wish we could pray and speak a word and someone be instantly better? Listen, there would be hundreds of people who would go to the bedside of missionary pastor in his 50s, Rick Rust, and make him better from terminal cancer. Who doesn't wish that were true? Is it not just almost the ultimate cruelty for those who claim that to be true and they don't hang out at children's hospital? Uh, If you've ever been there, I, I mean, your heart is crushed time after time after time. What sort of cruelty would think that they could do greater miracles than Jesus and not go down there and fix that? It's a great promise of some sort, but what did Jesus mean when he told his disciples they would do greater works than he did? Well, it means they would do greater things in scope. (laughs) Because physically, he basically did what he did with the Jews in and around Judea. His ministry through them expanded to the known world and all the Gentiles. Their works were greater in scope than his. His public ministry lasted three or three and a half years. Their ministry with the exception of James, continued for decades. Their ministry was greater in length than his. Uh, His ministry produced about 500 disciples. Their ministry produced thousands of disciples from places and people of all sorts. Their ministry was greater numerically than his. This promise was literally fulfilled, just not the way some people try to say to justify their theatrics. In Christ's name. And by the way, this promise for this morning also refers to each believer with the help of the Holy Spirit doing something God would consider to be great. Have you ever really thought about this? Greatness is not you and I fulfilling Jesus' potential. Greatness is you and I fulfilling our potential. Greatness is not you fulfilling my potential. Greatness is you fulfilling your potential. Greatness is not us accomplishing what we value in life. Greatness is accomplishing what God values in life. You see, because Jesus was the omnipotent Son of the living God, He was capable of great works, the like of which uh, we are not capable. Even though the Holy Spirit uh, is in us, the Holy Spirit was not given by measure to Him. He is given by measure to us. See, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So there was nothing impossible for Him, but you and I, we're just human Jesus did great works, and they were a result of Him being everything His Father intended Him to be. He fulfilled His purpose. Hear me when I say it is always a great work when any human being finds and does what our Creator designed and gifted us to do. Hear me when I say, because Jesus Christ has ascended to the Father, because He is our intercessor at the right hand of the Father, because He has sent the Holy Spirit to live in every one of His true children. Hear me when I say, you and I are all capable of being what our Father intended us to be. That is a great work. Because Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of His Father and intercedes for His own, and He sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to live in every true child of God, it's not just that you and I can be what God designed us to be. You and I can do what God planned for us to do in life. And that is a great work. Hear me this morning when I say everyone here can accomplish what God defines as great if we find and fulfill His purpose for our life. Do you know what yours is? In most cases, it's not a simple one-sentence thing. Now, it might be true that there is one great purpose for which God gives every human being life and many secondary purposes. That might be true. But this is certainly true, that God has a purpose for your life in Christ, and greatness is doing it. And what I'd like to do this morning is make some observations and applications of doing works God considers great. Please turn first in your Bible to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Here's number one. There is no work great enough to earn anyone eternal life. There is no work great enough to earn anyone eternal life. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, very clear. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. By the way, what that means in effect is if someone were to ask you why God should give you eternal life and you answered some work, I joined a church, I was baptized, I give this amount of money, I did this, I did that. If you would name some work of righteousness as the reason why God should give you eternal life, you do not have eternal life. Eternal life is because of the mercy of God. There's a reason Paul said to the Roman Christians that uh, not by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. See, Paul here makes sure Titus, who was established in churches on the island of Crete, clearly understood there was no work of righteousness that earns anyone eternal life. People are saved by the grace and mercy of God, not works. Most everyone here has heard of Bill Gates. He has been honored on occasion for being the world's richest man, though today that spot is occupied by Elon Musk. Uh, Bill Gates recently, though, has been honored as the world's most charitable man. He and his ex-wife Melinda have given or committed over $28 billion to charity. Now charity, by their definition, is to give to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which, interestingly and sadly enough, uh, only spends 5% of their ass- assets and invests the other 95% of the $48 billion that they have. Uh, but they've also given billions of dollars to promote Common Core education and given $82 million to Planned Parenthood. To me, that's not charity, that's feeding the devil. But hear me when I say neither Bill Gates nor you nor I can give enough money to earn eternal life. No work, regardless of how charitable or sacrificial, will purchase our salvation. Salvation was purchased with the shed blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Receive Him and trust Him to be saved. Reject Him and die lost in your sins. What a tragedy. That people can build great buildings and finance great causes to better humanity and die in their sins lost forever to the lake of fire. What a great tragedy to know that God so loved you, He so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. But instead of believing and receiving His Son, you decided instead to believe and trust your own righteousnesses. Even more tragic when we think that most of the world is trusting their works. When no one is saved by works. Let me ask you this morning, what are you trusting for eternal life? Are you trusting your works or are you trusting Christ? But please hear me when I say, if someone were to ask you, uh, you know, what are you trusting? And you give some work and they say, well, no, you need to believe on uh, Jesus Christ. And your response is, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus too. That, that's not trusting Christ. Trusting Christ as Savior is an unmistakable moment in your life when you realize that you're a guilty sinner and have broken the moral commandments of our Creator and that you have nothing in yourself worthy of eternal life and you humble yourself to turn to, believe, and repent and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that this morning, is a good time to do that. And though great works cannot save anyone, that doesn't mean that after calling upon Christ, we shouldn't do great works. Believers should do works of righteousness. We just don't do works of righteousness to get saved. We do works of righteousness because God saved us. Which brings up a great question. What kinds of works can I do as a Christian that God would consider great? Turn back to James 1. You know, I think we often, we we, we think, well, I'm I'm not a missionary, I'm I'm not a preacher, I'm I'm not something someone would look to in in public, and uh, we mistakenly think that great works are not for us. Listen, if you are a child of God, you are saved, you can do great things in your life of things does God consider great? Here's number one. God considers overcoming great obstacles, a great work. Notice in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Notice that you receive a crown of life if you endure temptation and continue to love Christ through it. By the way, one of the ways we know God considers something to be great is that He rewards it. There are five crowns mentioned in the New Testament, and one of those is given in the kingdom of God to those who endured temptation and continue to love Christ through it. Do you know it's easy to look around and to say, well, you know, these people haven't been through what I'm through. They they don't know the difficulty that I have. They don't know how hard the home and neighborhood I grew up in was. They don't understand the difficulty I have at home with my family. They don't know all the health problems that I have. They don't know all the obstacles I face. It's very easy to look around and say, well, no one has it like I do, when in fact everybody here has has faced and continues to face obstacles of all sorts. But regardless of what your obstacle is, whatever your temptation is, to quit on God and not love Christ through it, you and I can overcome whatever God allows in our life, and doing so brings a reward. Like many of you, I've seen people, for Christ's sake, who lost loved ones at times when no one would say, I understand that. And yet, they kept their chin up somehow by the grace of God and still had the joy and peace of God uh, in their life and they still loved Jesus Christ through it all even though that valley was dark. God counts that as great. Like many of you, I've seen people who suffered great physical setbacks. People who lived day after day with pain. People who have been through obstacles of all sorts through the course of their life that were no fault of their own, and yet because of their faith in Christ, they didn't quit on God, they continue to love Christ. God says, you know what? That is a great work. And every believer here can do that great work. (laughs) You see, overcoming and loving Christ not only brings the reward of God, it also opens a door for us to help and lift others facing the same obstacle. Do you know there's something specially powerful of being able to say, you know, I have been there. I felt that. And this is how I kept my mind on Christ and stayed faithful. Let me ask you, will you do a work God considers to be great with the obstacles in your life? Or will you do something else and miss that opportunity? But it isn't just overcoming great obstacles and continuing to love Christ that God considers to be a great work. Turn back in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Secondly, God considers the combined effort of His people to be a great work. God considers the combined effort of His people to be a great work. Have you ever thought about how hard it is to work together? I mean, in this room, I mean, we have people everywhere uh, from 12 to 90 In this room, we have people with all different sorts of backgrounds, all different levels of wealth, all different kinds of skills and educations, all different kinds of employment, all different circumstances in life, and yet God has asked us to be in one mind and one heart. Have you ever thought about how hard that is and how that only Christ can be the basis for our unity? God considers the combined effort of His people to be a great work in a book that is written to the church in Thessalonica. Notice what He says about their combined effort in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. He says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Notice they followed Paul and his team and Christ. Uh, It wasn't easy. They did it with much affliction. Notice in verse 7 says, ye, so that ye were in samples, you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And Macedonia is a region where uh, their city of Thessalonica was and Achaia was a region south of them. And he says, listen, you started out in all this affliction and yet all of you, ye, plural, were in examples to the people in your area and even in the area south of where you are. In verse 8, he says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we not need not speak anything. Paul says, listen, you guys live such changed lives. He says you spoke in such a way that sometimes when we went places in those areas, we didn't even need to say anything because the reputation of what you did as the church in Thessalonica, it went before you and it was a great work. See, you know things are a great work in God's sight when He speaks positively about them. Things are great in His sight when He rewards them. Things are great in His sight when He speaks positively about them. This was not the work of their pastor or deacons alone. This was a combined effort that produced something that brought glory to Christ and gave testimony to how God had changed their lives. By the way, I hope you understand, one of our goals at Bible Baptist Church is to live changed lives for the glory of Christ. Hear me when I say it is absolutely the opposite of biblical Christianity when churches attempt to be more like our fallen world to reach the world. That is the opposite of Christianity. We're to live changed lives. When you come to Bible Baptist Church, people ought to treat you different than the world treats you. People ought to look different than the world looks. People ought to act different than the world acts because we're the people of God. And the combined effort of God's people doing so has a great effect and is a part of doing something great. It's a great work when everybody helps to do a flyer distribution. Amen. We haven't done ours yet this year. God willing, uh, sometime in this fall, we'll do twenty-six or 27,000 uh, gospel flyers. Will you help? It's great work when we combine our effort. You know, sometime in the next couple of months, we're going to assemble and ship 15,000 copies of John and Romans in the Spanish language to Nicaragua. It's a great work where God's people combine together to do it. Listen, it's a great work when you walk in here and the building is clean. The grass is mowed and the words are on the screen and someone's running the sound. You would be shocked at everything that goes on so that people can come in here and complain that there's not a shelf up. It's a great work when God's people unite to do something great for God. Listen, it was a great work. If you would have be, been here uh, last uh, a week ago Thursday and Friday and saw everybody doing their part to move things over here, if you would have been here Saturday night when we had our first prayer meeting together in here, if you would have been here last Sunday morning, I mean, it is a great work, and we ought to thank God for the combined effort for lots of God's people who invested together in it. What a tragedy. Some are healthy enough to work in nursery, clean, or help, and you won't be part of our combined effort. Yeah. Amen. I have n- almost no respect for a woman who's healthy, who had children she put in the nursery, and remembers how that blessed her, who doesn't help. Amen. Amen for anybody was too afraid to say it. Sure. What a tragedy. Some here who were first attracted because someone was kind and warm and nice to you, but you don't return that to anyone else. Amen. So there, there's people you've been here for years and you still expect everyone to come to you. Amen. Amen. When, when, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to be a part of the great work instead of just observing the great work? Someone said, I long to accomplish great and noble tasks, but it is my chief duty to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. Do, do you hear me? Amen. Every little push forward that a child of God does here adds together to be something great. Amen. And you can be part of it. Amen. We decide to be part of our combined effort. God speaks positively about doing so. And it's a great work we all can do. First uh, Timothy chapter 4. One last thing. So you didn't give yourself much time. Well, maybe I'm going to go late. No, I'm not going to do that. Nursery workers will have me lynched. By the way, I care about the nursery workers. Almost always I stop preaching. I still got stuff I would love to say. Say, that's because you're a big mouth. Listen, I've never claimed I didn't like to talk. (laughs) Lastly, God considers positive impact in the lives of others to be a great work. He says in First Timothy chapter four verse twelve, "Let no man despise thy youth. He was in his thirties, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery." Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continuing in them. Here it is. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Notice Timothy doing these things would deliver him from the power of sin in his life, and him doing those things would also deliver those who were near him. It profited those around him for him to be that way. God considers a positive impact in the lives of others to be a great work. Amen. Listen, everybody in here is an example, everybody in here is an influencer. We're either bad examples or good examples. We're either influencing people for good and right in Christ, or we're influencing people for something else. It, it's not, No one gets to step back and say, I'm not going to be an example. No one gets to step back and say, I'm not going to be an influencer. The only choice we have is, will I be an influence and example for good or bad? Amen. You know, God wants our positive impact on others to start in our own home. I pray and think all the time that I'm my, my, I want my wife and my children, my daughters-in-laws, my grandchildren, I want them to rise higher in life because I laid down my life to be a stepping stone in their life. Right. Yeah. Amen. I want them bettered because I was in their circle. I think the same thing about here. I would be ashamed of myself if someone could come to Bible Baptist Church for any length of time, pay any sort of attention to what's going on, and not be bettered. Amen. I would consider myself a failure. Listen, it is always a great work when people around us are bettered because of our life. Let me ask you, are the people in your school, are the people in your workplace, are the people in the circle of your friends, are they bettered because of you? God considers that to be great. I don't know when Christ is going to come. I don't know how long God is going to let me live, but I do know this much, that someday whenever my life is over, the greatest thing that I will have done will have nothing to do with a $2.15 million building that we've already paid $500,000 off on. The greatest work that I will do is the parts of me that are good that I leave in the lives of the people around me. Amen. You can do a great work. Christ is at the right hand of our Father interceding for you if you're a Christian. And he gave the Holy Spirit, who lives in every true Christian, to help you do a great work. Will you do yours? Overcome obstacles, loving Christ. Will you do yours? Impacting people positively. Being a part of something that's greater than you can do as an individual. God considers all those things great. You'd quietly stand.